Welcome to the Lance Wallnow Show. Today's show is sponsored by Birch Gold. Visit lancewallnow.com forward slash Birch. Wait until you hear what happened at our latest live event. Lance is bringing down the house. Let's jump in. Donald Trump, peculiar prophet that he is. First time I met him up there in his uh, twin towers, uh, 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 Trump towers up there. He's looking around the room. And he says, I was listening to Bill Maher the other day. Look at these preachers in the room. He was just, they were mocking you guys. They're mocking, they were mocking Christianity and evangelicals. He said, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that when I grew up. There was respect for Billy Graham. There was respect for clergy. There was respect for the church. That's, I grew up with that. It's not like that now. If you don't mind me saying so, you've gotten soft. His assessment was fascinating. It wasn't how rude uh, the spirit of lawlessness is at loose on the land. It was that you guys are the reason why they can get away with it. You, they, 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 they have, there's no consequence attached to bullying you. There was a time when there was. And then he caught himself. He realized he's talking to a room full of evangelical preachers whose endorsement he is seeking. He said... He said, and of course, when I say that you've gotten soft, I mean we, me included. <laughs> I've been, I mean, I'm, we've all have our responsibility here. <laughs> but, uh, all right, so you guys tracking me so far? I'm trying to say that you guys are ready. You've been doing the work God called you to do, and you're getting ready to be set apart to do the work. You're not out of the will of God. You're in the will of God. Now you're about to get set apart to do the thing he ultimately wanted you to do. You know, and you're as one anointed. I can tell by the strength of your participation that you guys have the capacity to do this, including the campuses that are out there watching. I'm not here by accident today. There's a reason I'm here. The reason why Flashpoint chose to go here and, and, and do this program. So here's what I want you to see. First thing that happens with Paul, he's filled with the Holy Ghost. He's anointed. He goes out. He's ready to roll. And uh, he takes off and starts to preach. I want you to see the first place he goes. They start to preach in Cyprus, being sent forth by the Holy Spirit. They went down in verse 4 to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. That's John Mark. That's going to be Barnabas' nephew. Now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Oh, well, this will be interesting. At some point, you're going to find out where the occult power is in the territory that is operating to control the government, to control the authority. You're going to see where the gates of hell has its occult presence. Now, a certain source for a false prophet who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. You see, these, uh, these witches and, and false prophets are people that are filled with the devil that don't even realize that they're false prophets. They're just full of the devil. And they tend to gravitate to people of power and intelligence. What's weird is people of intelligence actually have them around them. So, uh, this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul from the faith. He withstood them. He was contradicting, blaspheming, mocking, saying it was a demon manifesting while the Holy Ghost was talking through the Apostle Paul. Now, I want you to catch this, because the church is, not only does it have to have a progressive revelation of who Jesus is, I'm telling you, Jesus is the king of nations right now. He's the governor of the universe, and he's coming here to take over. 
He's not coming over here to negotiate. He's coming back to earth in order to rule. So catch the disposition of Jesus. He's not just up there waiting till the Antichrist comes and then he's going to go back. He is ready to have authority to administrate and govern now if he can find a church that is in alignment with him. All right, so I'm going to show you something. The pro-council is trying to hear the word of God. He's a politician. Pro-council, political representative of Rome. There's a sorcerer working as his consultant. He's got a consultant full of the devil. I don't know if it's LGBTQ or if it's critical race theory, if it's, if it's diversity, equity, inclusion, or Marxist. It's some full of the devil ideology that's got a smart guy bamboozled. And when the word of God comes in to talk, it tries to shut down the word of God and make it look stupid, Pentecostal, primitive, and irrelevant. Watch what Paul does. But Paul, who is also, Saul is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. This is a look I wish I had a little picture of. This was not the look of love. And he said, here's a great line to put on your refrigerator. Oh, full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not stop perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You're going to be blind and not see the sun for a season. Whew. What happened to that 1 Corinthians 13 verse that Paul wrote? Love is patient and kind. Love is not easily provoked. Love does not consider a wrong that is done. You see, what I'll tell you is a lot of you have a religious conditioning that's creating a spiritual schizophrenia. You keep every time something rises over you that wants to go, be strong, be bold. God's going to go to war. He's going to roar out of Zion. You're not going to sit down. You're going to speak. And then, then all of a sudden, this, this voice comes in your head. Well, you got to turn the other cheek. You got to be meek. You got to pray for your enemies. You know, you have to be loving. And, and you create this bizarre. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're not supposed to haul off and <laughs> hit people. But what I'm saying is, I want to give you word of God permission to get out of religious conditioning. The Apostle Paul was moving in love. Love for the pro-council. And so, suddenly, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You should be blind. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And then I love this verse. Then the pro-council believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. In other words, this was a teaching with demonstration. <laughs> this was a, God is real, you're blind, back to the point. <laughs> pro-council was astonished. He wanted to hear more. While uh, the other guy's walking around saying, hey, somebody help me. Help me. I'm getting, I'm get me back to my room real quick. I got to do a spell or something. Hey, let's take a moment right here and talk about something. You know, these programs are actually paid for by sponsors. And so the one thing that I always do is try to pick the sponsors that have the greatest value. Those are the ones that I myself believe in. Now, the Birch Gold Group is one of those key sponsors, and I'll tell you why. The economy is the area that I'm the most concerned about in terms of instability in the future. Do you know that right now, China and Russia and India is meeting with Saudi Arabians and South Africans to create an alternative economy, to basically crush the dollar. This is gonna have a massive effect on the stock market, on real estate. It'll be a real shaking. But you don't have to be shaken because there's a way you can protect your retirement, your 401ks, 
your IRAs, by connecting them in with gold. Gold is unique in history in that it's a place of stored value. In fact, those BRICS nations of Brazil and Russia, India and China, they're going to be backing themselves with, guess what? Gold. So be smart. I want you to go to lancewallet.com forward slash birch and get a free information kit. Get knowledge, act quickly, don't wait. And they're gonna be able to help you make a great decision on what to do. Remember that information is free with no strings attached. Do it now, lancewallet.com forward slash birch. All right, but I, but I want you to catch this because you see, here's the problem. When Jesus came the first time and uh, he came, everybody was expecting the line. Even John the Baptist, poor John, greatest prophet of all times. And I teach on this stuff. You know, the problem with the prophet is the prophet John, uh, John the Baptist. There's three different horizons you could be looking at. The prophet could have insight into what's happening now. The prophet could have insight into what's going to be happening in the time of, of Christ when he's being revealed, or you could have prophecies of the end time. Sometimes you see the prophet is talking about what's going on in the nations around them, and suddenly over here, and behold, the king comes to you, meek and lowly, riding upon the donkey, the foal of an ass, and they're prophesying how Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem hundreds of years before he walks in Jerusalem. Then suddenly, boom, and the end's going to burn like an oven, and they're going to shake the heavens and the earth. The prophets are moving in different time zones, and only someone who understands prophecy as a good teacher will say, this verse refers to the nations around them because they don't exist anymore now, so obviously he's prophesying about the destiny of those nations. But boom, this one was fulfilled in Jesus on the cross or when he went into Jerusalem. Oh, yes. Well, what's the other one? Has it happened yet? It's going to happen. It's an end-time prophecy. So what happens is John the Baptist, he sees the end. And what does he see? He sees the Lord coming, thoroughly cleansing the floor, a mighty wind. He's going to deal his fire on that movement of God. The fire is coming down, and he's, uh, he's laying his axe to the root of the tree, and he's decisively bringing verdicts over nations and over people because he's administrating his rule. He is a ruler coming to set the house in order. He sees Jesus. He sees 2 Thessalonians, Jesus chapter 1, where Jesus is coming in flames of fire with the angels of heaven, who is going to bring recompense against all those that are warring against him, and he's going to judge the nations and destroy the power of the Antichrist armies. He sees that. He thought it was going to happen now, which is why it's interesting. The great prophet that Jesus said, arguably, the greatest prophet I've ever, he said, I think one of the greatest, the greatest prophets you ever had. Love Elijah. This is the spirit of Elijah on this guy. And what does he say? John the Baptist goes, are you the one or should we look for someone else? Now, how could the greatest prophet be missing something as fundamental? You just annoy, you saw the dove come down, you heard the voice, behold the Lamb of God, it takes away the sin. How could you be confused? He wasn't showing up in the administration and disposition that John expected. How was he coming? He came as the Lamb of God. But uh, John was looking at the Lion of God. John saw him coming with the armies of heaven. He's seeing Revelation chapter 19 and 20. White horse, sword in the mouth, blood on the garment, coming down to kick butt, take over. <laughs> and uh, he wasn't thinking of him coming as a sacrifice. He's going to be bound to the cores of the altar. He's going to shed his blood to conquer hell in the grave. He will first pay the price to redeem us. And then through the administration of his spirit, he will do his administration through the church. Here's my point. We have the same problem. 
He saw the lion and expected the lion then, but the lion is coming in the end. <laughs> we on our part, we're fixated on the lamb of God and he's showing up as a lion. We've got the opposite problem. We're convinced loving Jesus, merciful Jesus, therapist Jesus, all-inclusive Jesus. People are putting out their little rainbow flags, their Black Lives Matter flags. They're trying to be, oh, we're, we don't, we don't hate anybody. And it's like Jesus is going, what in the world's going on? Well, they've, they've hyper-fixated on the, on, the, on the Lamb of God and thought that he's coming back in the end time anointing as a, what, a raging lamb? He's coming back as a lion. So Dutch Sheets has his dream. I can't believe I'm out of time or I didn't even give my message yet. I have to come back and give you the message I actually wanted to give you. Dutch, Dutch Sheets has a dream, and he says the church in America is in a very dangerous place because he comes up to this whole field, and it's got Kenneth Copeland involved with it. So certainly, you guys are in, you're certainly in this story. And he comes up, and they are sheep who have the heads of lions but the bodies of lambs, and they're caught in transition. And it started, he says, the Lord said it started in November of 2020, which happened, what happened was the devil stole what was taking place in terms of God's restoration, reformation plan for America. And this can happen, folks. I mean, I know that your theology doesn't like it. Sometimes you've got you to live with the tension of an unresolved question and not come up with the wrong answer to make yourself feel better. The truth is, something was stolen and God let it happen. But it was stolen nonetheless. Now, when that happened, uh, what ha it spiritually it caused a, something got hitched up. And the church went, they were, they were becoming, they were being transformed into more of an occupying, righteous, strong, uh, you know, power aligned in the nation, but they got caught. And so in Dutch's dream, or the dream that was given to him by his, his friend, he sees these lions and lambs caught in transition, and they're dying because they're lying down, and they're not getting into the transition. And then a wind blows, and he sees ticks all over them. He sees ticks under the skin. And he's told, I guess, put oil upon them, the anointing upon them, and then the ticks are kind of come off. And, uh, but the ticks really have to do with politics because the word poly uh, means, you know, many, and ticks is a blood-sucking element. And so politics is like a blood-sucking thing. I don't like politics. I told I told, I told him in the uh, early service, uh, you know, so I sold out of my, my product on the tongues. I went, I went first to uh, Trump's Towers, and he was saying, uh, up there at his office, how we've gotten soft and we've gotten weak. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, this is weird. What am I doing? And he's talking about the, you know, how the how there's violence breaking out in his meetings, but he thinks that there's people being planted by progressives to create violence because every Christian he meets is a loving person. They're they're great Americans, and all of a sudden there's this weird thing happening. He doesn't he think it's hate. He thinks it's somebody planting incidents in his meeting, but he doesn't know what that is yet. And so he's talking about that. I'm thinking, what am I doing here? First of all, here I am and in a celebrity billionaire's office, running for president, dealing with race issues. I know nothing about race reconciliation. Uh, I'm not involved with uh, you know, global economics or politics and certainly not involved with The Apprentice. I don't even know what I'm doing here. And the Lord says to me, the strangest thing while I'm sitting at Trump's table, the Lord says to me, every time you pray in tongues, you tell me this is what you want to do. And I realized something. Every time I'm praying in the Holy Ghost, I'm praying the will of God for my life. My head doesn't know it. My heart does. 
You're all staring at me like I'm giving you weird theology. I'm telling you, your spirit knows things your head doesn't know. You're not as smart as you think you are. You're not. And if, you, and if you learn to honor the Word of God and let the Spirit of God lead you, you'll find that God is going to take you places your head won't like. But you're authorizing it with your utterance. All right, let me, just, let me just give you another example here. I'll just give you two more because I want to show you how the lion has always been with us. The Apostle Paul had the lion and the lamb. He was able to forgive his enemies and cry for them and be able to endure persecution. He never is guilty of punching anyone back. But I want you to see something. He had the disposition of an aggressive lion. And you see it right here in his first evangelism mission. You're blind. Shut up. <laughs> I go to Acts uh, 13. We got that one. I got Acts 16. There's a note here. I was sitting in the back there uh, meditating before we came out. This is all like new material for me. Acts 16, 27. Watch this. Now, uh, when Paul was in prison, beaten unlawfully, he is in the prison, and when they discover that he is a Roman citizen, the, uh, they freak out, the ones that are in charge of putting him in prison, because the penalty for unjustly imprisoning or beating a Roman citizen was to have yourself receive the same thrashing. So now you have the magistrates of the city that arrested Paul and Barnabas thinking they were itinerant Jews troubling their city and beat them up with all the anti-Semitic fury they had in them. Find out, oh, dang, that guy's a Roman? Well, I mean, did he buy it? How bad is it? No, he was born Roman. Oh, yeah. And so when they find that out, the jailer goes, hey, man, they really feel bad about this. I've been told to get you out of here in a hurry, but for your own safety. But really, you ought to leave the city, man. It's like a riot's breaking out over you guys. And I, I mean, we'll take care of you. Paul goes, oh, wait a second. Verse 37, they've beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans. They threw us into prison. And now they're going to try to put us out secretly. No way, Jose. Let them come themselves and get me out. You know, Paul's playing some psychological torment on them. Because now they have the, they go, uh, he says, you want him, you come get him. The whole walk over there, they're like on pins and needles thinking, this guy, how are we, what are we going to do to make him happy? We don't want to get beat. And so basically, what was he doing? He, he makes the office, and what does it say? It says, and the officers told these words to the magistrates. I love this. And they were afraid. He put the fear of God on them. Now, you would go, well, you know, the Bible says we're supposed to forgive. We just tell him we love him. We forgive him. We're praying for him. We're just going to bless him. It's okay. People make mistakes. People make mistakes all the time. We're, part, we're a love movement. Jesus is a love movement. When they heard that they were Romans, they were having a nervous breakdown. He made them come and plead. He didn't say when they got there, oh, it's okay. He sat there still like an offended Roman magistrate. He made them plead with him to make their case, to apologize, to explain the confusion. To, to, and why was he doing this? He wasn't doing this out of ego. He was doing this for the Philippian church because he's going to leave behind a people they're going to be very careful with. And he's making sure they know that. 
He's going to sue them to protect the next person they do this to. You understand why sometimes you use the weapons on the left hand and right hand? Well, about the Christian, I never think that. Well, maybe God's going to tell you to do it for the sake of the people you're protecting, the next people they do this to. You got that? All right, so anyway, they came and pleaded with him, and he brought them out, and they asked him to depart from the city. And so after he went to Lydia's house, rich lady, businesswoman, the first church they plant is with a, with a rich lady, with a, a politician, a, a jailer, and no doubt all the criminals that got saved. What a wild church that was. <laughs> oh, I love New Testament churches. They're crazy. All right, so I'm just going to give you, a, give you one more demonstration of the Apostle Paul's lion-like disposition so you can remember these verses when you feel guilty and something stirs up in you and you go, I think we're supposed to take that mountain. I'll give you one more verse. Acts 23, uh, verse 3. Paul is once again looking earnestly at a council. He's being brought in another trial. He's in the middle of constant disruptions. And he says, men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Annas commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Whack. Well, now you know Paul knows the teaching of the Messiah. Turn the other cheek. So how does he do so? Then Paul said to him, you know what? God's going to strike you, you whitewashed hypocrite. You're standing there in the position of judging me according to the law, yet contrary to the law, you just ordered me struck. This doesn't sound like a man who's demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. And those who stood by said, oh, would you revile the high priest? And Paul said, Oh, that's the high priest. I didn't know, brethren, he was the high priest. For it is also written, thou shalt not speak evil of a ruler of thy people. What's he doing? He's letting them know that he's a man of the word. And he immediately, with masterful self-possession, he snaps and he gives a righteous rebuke. Contrary to the law, you order me struck. That's a high priest. Oh, well, you know, it says, thou shalt not speak evil of a ruler of thy people. So he's positioning himself as a man of God. And I love what he does here. He says, um, then Paul looks around the room. He perceives that one part are Sadducees, the other part are Pharisees. And with infinite mischievousness, he says, Pharisees, Sadducees. He says, forget them. Gentlemen, I'm on trial because of these people. You know how hard it is to work with them. We believe in a resurrection. We believe in things they don't believe. That's what this is about. It's all a big rig thing. It's another witch hunt. And they all go, well, wait a second. He divides the room in half. And then they start a riot. The two of them start fighting. And they had to get him out so he didn't get caught in the middle of it. The guy was brilliant. I pray to God we all come into this, this, this position where we can love our enemies, have no malice, but have the fire of the lion on the inside of us? Because I'm out of time, but I'm going to tell you, the, the teaching that I do is seven mountains. And the first service I was talking about that when God wanted to raise up a deliverance for Israel, he told Saul to go to the hill of God and look at the garrison of the Philistines on the hill of God. The fact of the matter is, God doesn't want Satan having strongholds on the top of the hill that belongs to him. And he needs you to go into the education field, into government, into business, into media, into the arts community, 
and at least resist the devil so he has a little resistance on his fortifications. Because God's ultimate plan is that the garrison of the Philistines will not be on the hill of God, but that on the top of the hill, God will have an ecclesia which is sitting at the gates of hell. You're called to be up there where the gates of hell are located. I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that doesn't happen until you start to say, who do they say I am? Am I just a God afar off that can get your soul saved, maybe prosper you and deliver you from demons? Or am I the God of the universe and the governor of this nation? Now, admittedly, there's a lot of stuff we've got to figure out. I just dropped a lot on you. There, I could not possibly defend that in the course of a few minutes. But I'll tell you this. God hasn't given the United States over to the devil, but the devil's taken it, just like he took an election. And God, I believe, is using all of this in the same way. If I had the time, we'll come back and preach it. God showed me the end time plan for the United States is going to be like Paul going to Rome. Because Paul had a destiny. His destiny was that he had to go to Rome and appear before Caesar in Rome. But he gets on board a ship, and the ship is run by fools. And the fools are going to sink the ship. You've got an administration now that is, that is literally tempting China and Russia to exploit the weakness of the United States. We're involved in Ukraine. We shouldn't even be over there. And in uh, and, and, and a fight which we possibly could lose, we're toying with nuclear confrontation. At the same time, we're running up debt at 30 to 40 trillion dollars that we cannot sustain, while the other nations of the earth are decoupling from the American dollar and going with their own basket of currencies. Everything about this is as though if God wanted to discipline America, he just let these people be the instrument of judgment. But Paul is stuck on a ship, and he says to them, don't do that. He raises his voice as a man of God. He preaches the word. He tells them, sirs, I perceive this could be a loss of voyage, cargo, and life. But they overruled him because they thought they knew more than him. Put the religious fanatics, these crazy churches, these evangelicals, put them in the basement. They took off. Then they got stuck in a storm they could not get out of. And it was while they gave up hope that the Apostle Paul was still giving into prayer. And what he did was he pressed into his unfinished assignment. And an angel came to him and said, Paul, I've been sent because you have an appointment in Rome. You're the uh, FedEx package, and I'm going to deliver you. <laughs> now, uh, up until now, you've been with these, these, these people. From here on out, they're sailing with you. You're in charge. Suddenly, when all hope is lost, the church rises up. They treat you like, it, like, like a lunatic in the cargo bay. And in fact, you're the reason why that ship will make it. But it's because of the unfinished assignment of the American church. I don't know what America's going to look like after the ship gets dealt with. In this story, they ended up on Malta. God put them in a new place. Malta is the place where the church shines. It's when, when the natural vehicle falls apart, when the government is dysfunctional, the economy's messed up, and here's a people that are moving as one. They're the only people in the area that seem to have the blessing of the shalom of God and the grace of God. At that point, Paul on the island of Malta takes over the island with signs and wonders. In the pro-council, now he's at the chief of the island, he's in the political leader's house because his father gets healed of dysentery and a bloody flux. 
In other words, healing gifts and evangelism and provision abound around the place where the apostolic assignment is flourishing in the midst of a, of a contradiction of judgment on the ship. That's where the church is heading. And then they got a new ship built. Paul gets on it, and you know darn well. All the soldiers, all the crew had a different relationship with Paul on that last leg of the journey. It's kind of like, what do you think? Is it uh, feeling good about this one? <laughs> we're thinking of leaving on Thursday. What do you feel? <laughs> yep. He says we're going to make it. Okay. All right. I wanted to take a minute to talk about one of my great heroes of the faith, which is Mike Lindell. What's really cool about Mike is it's not just the pillow. It's the fact that the guy makes really cool products. For instance, I start my day off with a my coffee. I had a cup of coffee uh, the other day here in the office, and I said, no, I want that. It wasn't like Starbucks. It tastes better. And it was Mike's coffee. I said, what is it? They're Mike Lindell's coffee. I said, my gosh, get a bunch of my coffees. Now, the best way to start the day is you put on these slippers, right? And have your my coffee. If you've not worked with these slippers yet, I'm not kidding you. There's a special kind of a design that Mike has uh, put into these with four layers of cushion with a solid sole and a fur interior. I call it my sip and slip strategy. I start my day off by slipping on my slippers and having a sip of Mike's coffee. But you know what else I'm curious about now? Because I've got to check out the 2.0 pillow. The 2.0 pillow actually is designed so that it distributes the heat of your own head, your face. You know, you're lying there and it, it uh, makes it so the pillow's always cool. Now, I like that, because I wake up in the middle of the night and have to flip over my pillow because it gets hot. Mike's solved that problem. I want you to go to MyPillow.com, promo code Lance, because you can get a discount that I've set up for the pillows, for the coffee, and uh, for the slippers. And do it today, you'll be happy. Did you enjoy this latest episode? Please remember to share it with your friends, because the more knowledge you have, the better equipped you are to navigate the world.